When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Alrighty, welcome to the Barca Book Honest Podcast. My name is Josh. Hope everyone had a good week. Uh, this is going to be a bit of an interesting podcast. So um, we had a bit of trouble kind of figuring out a good time to get together with Matt Wiltsey for Managing Madrid earlier in the week. Uh, my schedule just couldn't really make it work. So we were chatting with Matt uh, this evening, or recording this on Thursday, to discuss some of the details from El Clasico. I know it's been a few days, uh, and it's been a few days, and there was another Barcelona loss in between uh, El Clasico and today. Uh, the loss resulting in Ronald Koeman finally being sacked after one of the most poor winning percentages of a Barcelona manager in recent history. Um, Xavi is thought to be the manager to replace him. Um Mundo are reporting that he has already agreed to take the job, but his departure from Al Saad must first be negotiated. Uh, it's probably going to take a little bit of time. Barcelona B coach Sergi is going to, or Sergey, I'm not sure, sure um, is going to be the interim manager. Uh, basically, talks between Barcelona and Xavi's agent were apparently supposed to start today. Uh, there's already been contact, I would guess, between whether it's an intermediary or some sort of discussion between Xavi and Barcelona. Uh, the, um, the, there's, of course, other guys that are being floated about. Um, I think Roberto Martinez, Antonio Conte is not coming. He's going to be Manchester United's manager. Um, actually, let me Google that. Let me see if that's already happened. Antonio Conte, let's see. Uh... Is he already the manager? No, surely not, right? Manchester Evening News, 12 hours ago. Uh, okay, so apparently Conte said yes if the job is on the table. Okay, cool. Um, Conte's not coming to Barcelona. It's Roberto Martinez or Xavi, most likely Xavi, if, uh, unless something strange comes of that. Uh, the... The on the pitch stuff, and we're going to talk about that with Matt in terms of El Clasico. In terms of the loss on Wednesday, I mean, like Busquets was horrible. Uh, Dest did not look good. Uh, Memphis, of course, misses the penalty. It was just horrible. Um, here's the here's the Ronald Koeman stat. Thank thank you, Jill, for putting this in your uh, five talking points. Ronald Koeman has won 28 of his 48 games as Barcelona coach in La Liga, the worst winning percentage of a coach since Antic won 9 of 18 with a minimum of five games. So, you know, this is... We've talked a lot about Ronald Koeman on this podcast for 
for obvious reasons. Uh, I would say that firing him is not going to fix all the problems. I think everybody knows that uh, Barcelona are where they are in the Liga for a reason. They're where they are in the Champions League for a reason. Um, maybe they get a little bump, you know, post-manager blues bump kind of thing. But in terms of the performances on the pitch, like Ronald Koeman isn't playing for these players. He's not playing for Philippe Coutinho. He's not playing for um, Memphis Depay. He's not playing for the midfield. He's not playing for the defense. And those guys are going to have to pick it up. There's just like, there, there is talent there. Um, it just remains to be seen whether or not that talent is capable of putting a competent showing together as a complete team. So whoever's in charge next, good luck. It's not going to be easy. And yeah, so let's get to the interview with Matt's. And if you're not subscribed to the podcast, be sure to do so. And here we go. All right, everybody. I am joined by our old pal, Matt Wiltsey from Managing Madrid. Matt, how are we doing? Hey, Josh. I'm doing well. Uh, looking forward to our discussion as always. And uh, there's there's a lot that's happened. I mean, I know we're, we're going to discuss the Classico, but there's a lot that's happened in between even. Yeah, I was hoping it would be like a simple, you know, like, hey, Barcelona were kind of plucky in that match, right? Like they played somewhat well for a ninth place uh, team in La Liga. And then uh, and then we sacked our manager. Um, <laughs> we'll get to that later. Uh, of course, both of our teams are in turmoil right now. You guys just drew with Asasunia. Uh, you're only in second place in, in the league. So you guys are uh, obviously struggling as much as we are. Um, in terms of the Clasico, at least from my perspective, and I think kind of the consensus was that Barcelona were actually like a little bit, at least at first, friskier than most thought. Uh, what surprised you about Barcelona in that match? Yeah, I mean, I think the first 20 minutes or so, it just took Madrid forever to get into the match. Like, I, I can't even think of three passes that were strung together in, in Barcelona's half. Uh, so I think Madrid kind of took a little while to to warm up to weather and they had to weather that storm in the first 15, 20 minutes of just Barcelona dominating possession. Um, I don't think, I mean, I'm trying to think back and I really, Barcelona, despite all that pressure and uh, having so much of the ball, they, they didn't really create anything. Um, and I think yeah, that was kind of how we like to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, pretty much the story of the match. I mean, the only good opportunity was that Dest opportunity and obviously Aguero's late consolation goal. But uh, even then Alaba slipped right before, before that goal. So I think the Dest chance, which I know everyone's talked about ad nauseum, but that really was like the opportunity of the match for Barcelona. It also seemed to wake Madrid up a little bit. Like just like the fact that, Oh, these guys are actually like, they, they, they had a chance to score. So now we have to try. Um, was there a player that stuck out to you from Barcelona that you thought was decent? Um, you know, I was looking, I was, I was expecting more from Ansu Fati for sure, because I've just been so impressed with him and how, how quickly he's come back from that horrible injury. And like even pre-injury, I remember that one game he had for Spain, uh, actually in the uh, Alfredo de Stefano stadium. I forget who, I think it was against Ukraine. And he was just unstoppable in that game. I was like, oh, my God, is Barcelona really going to develop a kid that there's no chance he's going to be as good as Messi, but like someone that's really going to be a, a Ballon d'Or type level talent player. And I was just like, you got to be kidding me. He's 17. He's this good. And so I was I, I'll be honest, I was expecting a little bit more from Ansu Fati in terms of who impressed me. Um, probably Busquets. I thought he's oh, probably. Oh, come on. <laughs> I think Busquets is the only one that really 
is uh, it was the only one that maybe played like Memphis didn't play well, Ansu Fati didn't play well, Gavi definitely didn't play well. Uh, we were kind of making fun of him on the Managing Madrid podcast because Barca, Barca fans have hyped him up so much, and he was I did not think he was good at all in this match. Um, Mingesa and Vinicius pretty much retired him. Uh, who else? <laughs> uh, that's I don't know Eric Garcia, and I've never been impressed by him. I I, I don't think he's uh, he's at the Barca level. I, he's great on the ball, but off the ball, he's got a lot of issues. And so, no, no one else really impressed me. It's great. Um, Busquets <laughs> followed up his uh, impressive performance by just like gifting Radamel Falcao a goal in our loss yesterday. <laughs> so that was that was awesome. Um, was there a player? From the Madrid side, actually, let's just get to it. Uh, so my notes, <laughs> my notes from the match, uh, just one, once again reminded of how furious I am that David Alaba was allowed to go to Real Madrid. I just feel like someone should have stepped in um, and stopped that. And frankly, I, I blame myself for writing blog posts for two years, uh, talking about how he was thinking about Barcelona when his <laughs> contract ran out due to uh, reports in Spain. Uh, <laughs> only for him to go to Real Madrid and do what he's been doing. Um, even in... Uh, the somewhat depressing draw that you guys had this week uh, in your player ratings, I think he got a seven. Um, how impressed are you with David Alaba in his uh, short tenure at Real Madrid so far? Yeah, he's, I mean, he's quickly become a fan favorite and that's that's saying something considering the man he's replaced and he's taken that number four. He's replaced Sergio Ramos, um, obviously the one of, if not the greatest defender to ever play for the club, one of the best players ever play for the club, a, a living legend. And Alba had to step into those shoes. And honestly, he's, he's been foot perfect up to this point. He's been a leader at the back, like almost immediately since entering into the side, you can see in games, like he's so vocal, he's leading that back line. He's the guy back there. That's just dictating where everybody goes, pushing the line up. And I mean, we need that after Ramos left and he's stepped in like, like it was no problem to this new team and just taking on that leadership role. And then just his on ball, I mean, his defensive capabilities and his, his physicality, his speed, all that is just, everybody knows how great he is in that department. But for me, just his on ball ability, I I knew he was going to be talented in that respect, but I'm just, even more impressed seeing him game in and game out. Like he provides that first exit ball from outside, from out of the back. Like he's the one that starts your buildup play along with Tony Cruz and having those two so close to each other and just two great ball players, two guys that can thread a needle of a pass. Like it's, it's really nice to have someone of David, David Alaba's caliber back there. And when you said legend at first, I'm not going to lie, I was like racking my brain like, who's he talking about? And then he <laughs> obviously went on. I think that says a lot. But I, I think also, too, if you take like the on-field leadership that, um, that I think you saw from Alaba at the Euros with um, yeah. Austria, and then you kind of just, you know, no, no shade to the Austrian national team, right? But you upgrade the talent that surrounds that now at Madrid, and, you know, good things are going to happen. Um Tony Cruz. So when Casemiro, you know, kind of does his Casemiro thing and it's real give or take, um, is there a better midfielder in the world to compliment when Casemiro does bad Casemiro things than Tony Cruz? Hmm. 
I really don't think there is. I mean, Tony Cruz was probably our saving grace, especially in that first half. Like I mentioned, when we couldn't string more than three passes together, Casemiro, as you as you said, is doing Casemiro things and was a culprit at just giving the ball away countless times in, in our own half. And so we always talk about uh, how with Casemiro, it's kind of like, is he a net positive? For the most part, he is a net positive, but... I think in that first half, at least, he was not. And he was just giving away the ball in dangerous places. And thank God we had Tony Cruz because he he basically, this is what he does. He calms the team down. He allows them to breathe just by retaining possession and just by finding the right pass and playing it to the, to playing it to the player's strong foot in their running path, like just literally putting every pass on a dime, never misplacing a pass, never, never just feeling um, anxiety or anything under pressure. Like he just is so calm, cool and collected. And he's even said in, on countless occasions that he doesn't get nervous before matches. And that's just crazy to me. Like it's the champions league finally still doesn't, doesn't get nervous and you can see it in the way he plays. He is just, I, I mean, I don't think we'll see a player like him. Uh, I mean, he's once in a generation type player, so we may not see another player like him for 20 years or so. And he's, I, I rate him that highly. And I just think he's uh, against Barcelona, especially in the Classico. He was, he was, a, he was probably one of our best players. So if you had to guess how old Tony Kroos is, and you might know this uh, offhand, what would you, how old would you say he is? I think he's 31 or 32. Okay. You guessed that he's 31. I didn't know he was that young. Honestly, I thought he was older. Oh, really? You? I thought you were going to say you thought he was younger. No, I mean, it just feels like he's been. Like <laughs> yeah, this, he has been around forever. He's just, I mean, he's been around. I mean, he, one, he's been at Real Madrid since 2014 now, which is crazy. Um, but is like his presence in the world, just like kind of just the, the football thought process is like one of the best midfielders in the world. It just doesn't seem like. I don't know. For me, I guess I was hoping it was going to be over sooner than it was, but it doesn't seem like <laughs> yeah. he's going to be. Uh, maybe he'll get bored like Lewandowski, and he'll decide like he wants to go somewhere else. And then I, I guess I thought he was Luka Modric's age. I thought he was like thirty six. Oh no, 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 no! Yeah, Luka's definitely older, and I mean it's crazy how Luka's been able to sustain this long. But I mean, you look across, uh, even look at the longevity, longevity, long, can't say it, longevity of. Gerard Piquet, Sergio Busquets, like there's other guys, there's guys all Listen, across the board. Just because you keep your job doesn't mean you're still world class, though. At least in the case of Busquets, yeah, that's I think fair. Piquet yeah, that's fair. Moments, but that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I, I mean, I think Busquets for Spain is still world class. I think it's just the system that Kuman had with Barcelona that's that's hurt him. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's there some of these guys. It's just crazy to think about like how long they've been around. Like they were they were all here during the the Moo and Pep era, and that feels like a lifetime ago now. Um, so on a scale of like one to 10, how confident are you that, uh, killing Mbappe is going to be a Real Madrid player in the next 12 months? 9.5. Really? Yes. So you, you don't think Messi is just like kind of slowly just like, you know, working his like, just hoping he can, mm, Maybe I don't Messi think wants so. Him to leave. I don't know. I, I don't, I, well, I think Messi wants him to stay, but I just don't think it's going to be enough. I think Mbappe wants to be the man. I think he's kind of over the project of Paris. I think he's had his mind made up for a while. I think we're all the, over the project of Paris, to be honest. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> it hasn't gotten going at all. I mean, it's uh, it's crazy. I've watched some of their matches, and it's just not clicking at all. And the thing is, even if it does get going and they win something, no one's going to be happy for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've been signing off our podcast. When we do, like, Zoom podcasts with patrons or live podcasts, we sign it off with Ala Madrid. <laughs> <laughs>
PSG. So <laughs> <laughs> that tells you where our sentiment is at. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think everyone's kind of with that with, uh, at that point with PSG. And I, I, I really think that Mbappe just like if he was going to sign for PSG, he would have done it already. I, I think uh, this summer was really the tipping point for me. I was just beyond beyond like shocked at how how much he was willing to just dig his heels in reject whatever psg said like and just be adamant about it's real madrid or nothing so that i mean he's already become like a legend in our eyes just because of all this and how he's behaved so uh madrid fans are definitely it feels like the prophecy is finally happening happening for us because this has been so many years in the making oh, every yeah. year it's yes, like mbappe is coming mbappe is coming and so finally finally it's gonna happen so if you had to guess would you say you guys give psg something nice and it happens in january or i think the optimal move for you guys obviously is to wait till another summer and get him on a free right yeah i, I mean i think that's what's gonna happen i think he'll probably sign a pre-agreement they won't say anything they won't announce it until like the summer when the season's over because Mbappe still has to play with PSG and deal with the wrath of the PSG fans and everything like that. But I think they'll probably sign a pre-agreement like they did with Alaba uh, in this past year. And everybody will kind of know it's done, but not a hundred percent official. And then the summer will roll around and he's a Madrid player. Yeah, that's great. Um, let's <laughs> talk about, uh, <laughs> I have like one, Actually, you know, let's just get to it now. Is Eden Hazard alive? Does he still play for uh, Real Madrid? I well, know he made a week. yeah, he made an appearance against Osasuna, but it was not a good appearance. He was once again just a shadow of the player he used to be, and it's really, I mean, he's. I thought he could maybe turn it around, but I've given up all hope of that. Like, I just don't think he'll ever be the player he was, and we're going on three years now. It's almost three years. Uh, since Is he, he arrived, worse transfer than Philippe Coutinho. I think so. I, th- I, I think, think so, so too. How crazy is that? Yeah, <laughs> he's a worse transfer for us than Kaka, and like a lot of people didn't think like that just because of how much we spent on Kaka and the return we got. It Hazard's definitely worse. It's it's he's the most expensive signing in our history. That to put it in perspective, like it's it's been that bad. That's crazy. So do you think he rides it out for like another year or two, or do you think you offload him somewhere, maybe a loan deal or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I think if Mbappe does come, they're going to try and find any potential way to get him out that they can, even if it is a loan deal and we have to pay like half his wages like we did with Bale uh, the other year. I just think they're they're going to be trying to push him out, and it's whether or not Hazard kind of pulls – all the stops out and says, no, I don't want to leave and just refuses to budge kind of like Bale has done in the past. Um, and those two contracts, like having Bale and Hazard's contracts on our books this year has been, it's definitely been a financial burden for the club. And that's why I think they weren't really open to making any moves besides the Mbappe move this summer. Uh, obviously Kamavinga happened once we knew Mbappe probably wasn't going to, but I think the, having those two contracts on your on your books is just it's they take up a huge percentage of the wage bill just those two alone. So um, getting bail off next year and potentially if you can remove Hazard, that would be I mean that that frees up a lot of space on, on for for wages. Wait, so there's no contract renewal talk with bail happening right now? <laughs> no, <laughs> bail, Marcelo, Isco, they all potentially are off the books next year. Okay, so. What happened with Isco? 
honestly, I don't like he played really well against Levante earlier in the season. Uh, he had like a man of the match performance. Everybody was talking about how he's come back from preseason. So in shape, Ancelotti is going to get the best out of him. He's playing in a deeper central midfield role. And now all of a sudden he just, and he never played poorly when he played, but now all of a sudden he just never plays. He's not even in the rotation at all. So his contract's up in six months. Like I just, I think the writing's on the wall. I, I think it's kind of sad because he's, he's one of those guys that's been here just actually longer than Tony Cruz. And he's been here since 2013 and uh, he's won four champions leagues. Like he's been around, he's been part of that team and part of that generation. And it's kind of weird how his career's unfolded. It's progressively gotten worse. Yeah. It's progressively gotten worse. So I just hope that when he does move, like wherever he goes, I I actually think he might go to Sevilla Um, wherever he does go. He, I just hope he plays and like kind of returns to his best, the best of Isco and gets a ton of minutes. And so we can still enjoy his career. I mean, he was so much fun to watch. And like, I know he still has flashes, like you mentioned earlier this season, but I just don't see him that much because I, I don't watch yeah. every Madrid match, obviously. And so, yeah. But when he was at his peak, I mean, oh my gosh, like, I don't have to tell you, but he was such <laughs> an entertaining midfielder. And the depth that you guys had, and you, the depth is still there, but when he was excellent, but still like, couldn't get a start it was just yeah. it was ridiculous yeah uh, um okay vinicius jr am i saying am i saying his name right by the way yeah okay yep. cool uh so there was the the gerard pk quotes where he said basically said barcelona had him and had him wrapped up and then real madrid flew in and offered him double or whatever uh <laughs> is he I, I guess like my question like obviously he's great how is mbappe Vinicius and Benzema going to work? Are they just going to be a front three and you're just going to throw Mbappe out to the the right or the left and figure it out? Yeah, I I guess. I mean, your guess is as good as mine. I think maybe Mbappe starts on the right and then they just kind of interchange as the match goes on. Um, The one thing is Vinicius is, for some reason, he's terrible out on the right. We've seen him there a couple times before and no manager ever puts him out there because... He's just, he's for some reason, like it all goes out the door with him when he goes on the right. He can't, none of his magic works, none of his dribbling skills. He can't cross, like it's just not a good look. And so uh, I don't know if he'll be interchanging that much to the right wing, but we'll see. Cause I think Mbappe's probably preferred position is on the left wing. So we'll see how that all, that all mixes together. Has he ever played like, could you, I guess, could you have Mbappe and Benzema up top with Vinicius like right behind them in like an attacking midfield role? Yeah. Um, I feel like that's kind of like neutering what he does well. Though. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyways, <laughs> uh, good for you guys. Um, let's talk a little bit about <laughs> Barcelona, just from like from the real from the Real Madrid perspective. Who are you? Whether it's for comedic value, whether it's because you want Barcelona to be good again, so the rivalry is there. Who do you want Barcelona to hire as manager? Um, I mean, all I've seen is Chavi, Chavi, Chavi. And I just think that, um, one, like Real Madrid fans hate Chavi. We hate Chavi just because of his snide comments all the time. And just like how he thinks he's the ultimate philosopher and how the grass needs to be cut super short and all this different stuff. Like, so just for, just to like maybe heat up the Classicos again, because they've been kind of lukewarm lately. I think it might be nice to have Xavi just because I think it, it, the fire might turn up a little bit with him in, in the hot seat and Real Madrid fans would be love to get, continue this streak of Classico wins with, with Xavi as manager. 
um, from from like just a purely uh, neutral standpoint, like I just feel like it's it's strange to see all these coaches, like former players, get pushed so quickly. Um, and Xavi is now another one. Like you would think, an, a natural stepping stone would be to another La Liga team. Well, first you know that's or, your fault, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's actually <laughs> your fault with Pep. All of Pep's success, That's and then true. we did it with Zidane, and somehow had success. <laughs> and then now everybody thinks that like that's the perfect formula. Um, and yeah, I think it's gonna happen with Xavi. I think it's probably gonna happen with Raul. Like I wouldn't be surprised if you guys hired Xavi. I wouldn't be surprised in like a year or two. Raul is the manager, and we have Raul versus Xavi, which that would actually be pretty cool to see. If Xavi's around in two years, if he gets hired, like yes, the next yeah. month, then that would yeah. be a miracle. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, I think you guys are, you're having our post Cristiano Ronaldo 2018, 2019 season where we went through three managers, Lopetegui, Solari, and then Zidane. Yeah, we've been having I feel this like for you, three years. Yeah, but no, this, you still guys have been competing though. Yeah. Like, I think this year is going to be your 2018, 2019 season, which we had. And what maybe, maybe a little bit finish? worse. I don't know where we were in October, but like we lost five one to you guys in October, and then Lopetegui got fired right after that. Um, I think we we definitely finished like third that season. I think third or fourth. Yeah, you were third. I'm just like yeah, up. yeah. But you but were like I, I think points behind Barcelona. Yeah, in October we were and we were kind of in a similar position to what you guys are now. I think crazy. Okay, well, uh. My two cents. Uh, I honestly, at this point, I have, I just have no, no care who they hire because I'm gonna be doing. <laughs> I've been doing these podcasts for the last, you know, eighteen months or whatever, and it's just the same cycle. It's yeah. just who's the next guy in that I'm going to have to talk about. Uh, why he's on the hot seat, and then he's gonna get backed again, and then the next, like with Kuman, there were I think like at least three times in this season already where it was like all right the next three matches are very important <laughs> yeah. but like those are the reports that were coming out but yet the stuff that was coming out of um kind of the leadership's mouth was like he's our guy but then it kept yeah. being like oh well these next three matches are important it's like okay nobody really and i feel like if they could have gotten chavi during the summer i think they would have i just for some reason it makes like i feel like he didn't want to come that's yeah. the only reason i think they gave kuman a backing only to fire him three months later and yeah. now Xavi might come. I, yeah, it's, it's, it's it ridiculous. is weird. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, at the end of the day, like Barcelona is in transition. Like everybody knows that they've had to deal. They had to get things right on the financial end first before they can move forward and build the club up again. And Laporta is having to undo everything Bartomeu screwed up. And like it really is incredible the the reign that Bartomeu had and what he what he did at Barcelona. Like it should be a case study on how not to run a club. It's, he he was that bad, and it's I think like it's gonna take two three years. I mean I I don't think it'll be quicker than that until Barcelona is like ready to compete for Champions Leagues again and like can is on the right financial footing and everything like that. And I I just think fans. Maybe they don't want to hear it, but from an outsider's perspective, like it's just you're gonna to have to probably be patient for a little bit. No, and it's like the the band-aid should have been ripped off way sooner than it was. Yeah. Um, in terms yeah. of the rebuild. And I guess I think of this like this is a very American, at least I don't know if people in Spain think this way, but like from an American perspective, right? Like when my teams rebuild that I root for, I don't want them to fire the manager every 18 months just because yeah. they have like a legendary name. 
Um, like I, I'm a Michigan football fan. So like the college team, right? Like we've been rebuilding for a while as much as you can rebuild in college and they've actually stuck it out with the coach. And it's like, it's built a relationship. And even though there's been controversy, uh, and the fans sometimes want them, you know, fired as soon as something bad happens, uh, they haven't. And at Barcelona, I just don't know. I, there's not really like a good, I guess Manchester United are the closest thing to a club with that level of, um, ex- expectation yeah um that's gone through such turmoil uh and they've had their own and are going through their own managerial problems now but it's like i don't know i just want them to stick with someone for a couple years to see that rebuild through and it just feels like they're not capable of doing that yeah i mean there's something to be said for stability and just allowing someone to give them the confidence to do their job and trust them to do their job and i think uh, as much as fans may have criticized Kuman, like he did bring through Gavi. He was playing on Sufati. He was playing like all these young guys and giving them an opportunity and kind of bringing through that next transition. And so there's no guarantee if Chavi comes in that he'll do that. I mean, I think he probably, he's probably a guy that will want to do that, but when the pressure starts coming and he has to win games, like if you're not in the top four, I don't know that he's going to continue playing all those kids if if when the pressure is real. Yeah. And for all the like the weird stuff Kuman did with like the press conference where he talked about being the future of the club or the club has a <laughs> yeah, future yeah. because of me. Yeah. And like just all the strange stuff when he came out, you know, had like the press release that he read. Um like you said there was something to the fact that he was playing the youth. Uh there was also something negative side to be said that Anytime a, a Dutch player thought about leaving uh, anywhere, Kuman was the first to sign him <laughs> up. Uh, and now I have to write about uh, Luke de Jong leaving <laughs> every, like, probably every other week till January. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I just don't know what to think anymore. I'm just not excited to already, like, I, I should just start getting my podcasts ready for six months down the road when I'm yeah. already talking about Xavi being on the hot seat. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, one more question about Real Madrid, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, what do Real Madrid need to do to basically fortify their position as the best team in the league? Um, well, if you remember last year when we when we spoke, I said our biggest problem was scoring goals. I don't think that's the issue anymore, um, which is nice. It's been a nice change of pace under Ancelotti. Like We've been able to score goals. Obviously, the Osasuna tie was not a testament to what I'm saying right now, but... Um, for the most part this season, we've been overperforming our XG. We've been scoring a ton of goals. Benzema's been on fire. Vinicius has just taken it up a level. That's kind of revolutionized our attack. I think for Madrid to kind of capitalize on their squad and win the league and be the best team in the league, Ancelotti needs to get the press right. So what he's been doing for the early part of the season was he wanted this team to be a high-pressing team. And the problem with that was like, it was just so disorganized, so dysfunctional that teams were playing right through us with ease. And so after the international break and our loss to Espanol and to Sharif, he pretty much pulled, pulled the press back and slowed it down and said, you know what, for Shakhtar and Barcelona, we're just going to basically play counterattacking. We're not going to press. And it's been effective, but I think he still got the itch and the desire and the belief that being a high pressing team creates better chances for you. And is just how you, you win at the elite elite level. And so I think he's going to start pushing uh, his foot forward again uh, with the press. And so if he can get that right, we'll be successful this season. If not, 
it's probably uh, going to be a, a trophy-less or at least La Liga-less season for us. Okay, so I have been, since the start of the season, like Atletico were my favorites, right? They were the team that I was kind of like, I, I believe in them the most. Uh, they've done really nothing to prove me right so far. Um, <laughs> who are, are they the team you're the most scared of? Or like, do you think like a Sevilla or even Sociedad for whatever reason could actually make a, a real title challenge? I mean, I don't think Real Sociedad or Sevilla will be able to sustain a full title challenge, especially with their, uh, they have the Europa League and Sevilla's obviously in the Champions League. So I think Europe will eventually. Uh, just the fatigue from being in those competitions and their smaller squads. I think that will eventually catch up to them. Um, Atleti, Atleti's so weird because they just go through, they've got a great team, but they always go through like these ups and downs. And you're never really like every time you think, oh, okay, Atleti's figured it out. Jao Felix is playing great. Suarez is scoring the goals. Then they go on like this terrible run. And so it's really hard to, to know with Atleti like last year they just got they held on by the skin of their teeth because they won so many games in the beginning and then in the middle of the second half of the season they just completely fell apart and then won enough at the final few weeks to hold on so I honestly think Real Madrid should win this like without a doubt should win this uh, La Liga this year and if they don't it, it's a failure but we haven't figured our own shit out so I think it's probably going to be between us and Atleti. And honestly, I don't think I don't rule out Barca like competing for the title still. Like we'll see. Stop, it's still stop, 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 stop. it's still too early. It's I know still you're too early. on my podcast here, but you don't have to do that. <laughs> I'm uh, no, serious. I mean, and, and when I talked with Robbie from Into the Cauldron, that was one of the things we discussed was like even though when Atleti were I've been at their best in years past, right? They've been like that defensive team, and now they have so many attacking options. Like they're trying to figure out how to become that attack first team. Yeah. And it feels like towards the end of last year, they were still trying to figure that out and it didn't work out well. And now you had a Griezmann back into the mix and they're still trying to figure it out. And so I don't know. I've, I've kind of slowly come to change my mind that Real are probably the favorites. But if Atleti figure it out, they're definitely going to be the, the team that challenges you guys. It's just a matter yeah. of if they can. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Cool. Well, Matt, thank you for joining me. Um, Everyone check out the Managing Madrid podcast. They do amazing work over there. They've kind of, you guys have, in my opinion, set kind of the architecture for what SB Nation soccer podcast should look like. Um, and so thank you guys for doing that. Uh, and yeah, that's all I got, Matt. Thanks for joining hey, us. Hey, I appreciate it, Josh. Thank you for the kind words and uh, always, always fun to chat. <laughs>